fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hold on, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Can we just hit pause for 30 seconds here? I'm trying to get everything around. (laughs) Welcome into the show. It's a Wednesday, the middle of the week. It's hard to believe we are already halfway through. It's hump day, the pre-pre-Friday, the post-post-Monday, however you look at it. It's always great to have you along for the ride today. Let's carpe diem all over this place, baby. Welcome in broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. We love you to death and always appreciate you very, very much. We are going to cram so much into this show, your brain's going to hurt by the end of it, but that's okay. That's what we're here for. You're welcome. Bottom of the hour, James Fishback. He is the executive director for Incubate Debate, as we'll be talking about the ending of Title 42, the fentanyl crises, the immigrants coming in all over the country, and a news story where not only is New York angry about the influx of the illegal immigrants being bused to their area, but they're now trying to rebus them to rural communities across the nation as they say that they are overwhelmed with their resources. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny right there. So we'll do that here in just a bit, but... I guess it's perfect timing for the uh, timing of the program right now because just about 30 minutes ago, the House of Representatives has officially voted on, and let's see if they are doing anything again. They're not doing anything right now. They have officially voted on the resolution for the debt ceiling bill, so let's go ahead and jump into it, shall we? What's trending today? And I have to ask you the question, Republicans, and those who are like, well, it's not the greatest bill, but it's about the best that we can do, and it's about the best option that we have, and it was a good compromise between the Republicans and the Democrats, and it's the... I ask you, Democrats and Republicans, how... Was it worth it? Was it worth it raising the debt ceiling by $4 trillion? We said on the program here that if it raised it at all, that we would be against this bill, because while we understand the concept of compromise, we also understand the concept of never being in this situation before and being literally on the dire straits of jumping off the cliff of financial ruins in this nation. And yet, like we talked about yesterday, the slowing of the GDP, while more tax revenue may be coming in now than ever before, we're slowing down. We have a the largest generation population of the workforce going into the retirement stage, the up and coming generations that are smaller and smaller, not able to keep up with the GDP growth that we need to compensate to continue the government spending levels that we're at right now, which is why we see numerous states lowering the age of the workforce to like the age of 14, being able to go into bars and serve alcohol and do other things in an entry level position because we have no one else to do those jobs. We talked about that yesterday. So, in response, the Republicans, Kevin McCarthy specifically, and some of these moderate Republicans are like, oh, it's a great bill, ended up passing the bill just about a half hour ago with 29 Republicans voting against this one, saying it was an absolute disaster of a bill. Well, I'm a hard no. I'll be voting no. And, um, you know, I could just elaborate on a lot of reasons, but let's think of this one. They, they claim they're going to get $130 billion dollars a year in savings for 10 years and in a two-year period of time they're going to raise the national debt by four trillion so when you go a year to year heads up it's you save 130 billion dollars and that's 
if I assume that they're telling the truth, which I that's a that's a dubious that's a dubious thing because I know how they're basing that, um, and they're going to instead increase your national debt by two trillion dollars per year. That is not a win. That audio from Newsmax just a little bit ago. So let me get this straight. We are saving. I'm going to write this down and do the math live on the air here, shall we? Hold on. We have 130 billion dollars that we're going to save a year for the next 10 years. That would be just over. Is that right? Just over a trillion dollars. That's uh, 130 billion. You move the decimal point, went over. That'd be 1.3 billion dollars that we save over the next 10 years. So we're saving 1.3 billion dollars. We raise the debt ceiling by $4 trillion over the next two years, which would be $2 billion a year of an increase there compared to the $1 billion that we save over 10 years. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm bad at math. I'm not the best at this, but I'm assuming that's an increase in spending. Now, Republicans said that they were voted in, and Kevin McCarthy has been taking the reins and running with this since really January when this issue came about right out of the gate after he was elected Speaker of the House, ran with this saying that Republicans were elected to cut spending and bring the financial stability back in check for the federal government, and that's what they're going to do. And for the first time, this is why we almost get a little bit of hope. We get some hope, and then we get deflated all over again. It's almost like the footballs from Tom Brady every time that we watch the game in Washington, D.C., that every time we start getting our hopes up, maybe we can actually hold our ground here. Maybe we can actually stand strong. Republicans have the House of Representatives, one of the most powerful. I know we're the lower chamber, quote-unquote, the chamber of the people because they have smaller districts around the nation, and therefore we have a better representation of the people. They're the ones that primarily handle budgetary issues. The Senate does, obviously, as well as part of Congress, but the House of Representatives really dominates that conversation. And with us only owning even one portion of a chamber of government or one branch of government and half the chambers, we can hold our own and say, we're going to pass a bill. In fact, we did pass a bill at the end of April. We passed the Limit, Save, and Grow Act. I keep wanting to say the cut, cap, and balance. Anybody remember that one? That was the bill back during the Tea Party in like 2008, 2009, the cut, cap, and balance. No, this one was kind of the same. It was the Limit, Save, and Grow Act where we would raise it by $1 trillion and at least cap the amount of growth that the government can have by 1% over the next 10 years, and that would be it. And while that was okay, that should have been the ending point, not the starting conversation point, and Democrats threw it away. Not even a starter point, not even good enough. We can't have that. We need to have better negotiations. We need to come to the table and meet further in the middle. And while Republicans had all the power in the world because we could have said, we did our job, we passed a bill, how about you? Either pass a bill or get along with this bill and let's move on so that way we don't run into a debt ceiling crisis. They didn't do that. Kevin McCarthy went back to the table, has been dealing with the Biden administration over the past two weeks, and has come out with this new bill, whatever the hell this bill is called, and 29 Republicans voted against it, 53 uh, Democrats voted for it. Let me repeat that. 53 out of the almost 200 Democrats in the House of Representatives, 53 voted for the bill. Now, we could have passed it very easily if we stuck with the Limit, Save, and Grow Act that, by the way, passed at 217 to 215 with an overwhelming, uh, overwhelming Republican majority and said, we did our damn job, now you do your damn job, but we didn't do that. So we watered down our already watered down bill to entice Democrats to get 53 Democrats out of the 200 that are in the House of Representatives. Do you feel like you did something productive? Do you feel like you worked across the aisle to appease the other side of the aisle? 
because most Democrats, in fact, the overwhelming majority of the Democrats, nearly 170 of them, 180 of them voted against it. Uh, what was it? I guess 150 of them voted against the bill because it went too far with the work requirements, with trying to get rid of the student loan forgiveness program. And uh, oh, yeah, by the way, environmental things that the Democrats need to have as an essential operation of government, apparently. But one of the major concerns is on non-defense discretionary spending. While the defense budget continues to go up, our ability to feed our children goes down. Our ability to educate our children goes down. Our ability for workforce development goes down. And our ability to meet the complex needs of the most vulnerable Americans goes down. That audio from CNN. So... Because of this, this discretionary, what's all the all the military spending going up? Let's remind individuals again, and I don't know whether he's just unaware of this as an elected official or whether he's just playing into the you're really dumb, so we're going to go ahead and play into your stupidity as an American public, that military spending is going up and all these other social programs are going down. That's not the case at all. And we need to politely remind them the difference between discretionary spending and mandatory spending, where mandatory spending is all of these social programs that aren't being touched. In fact, if anything, they're maybe slowing the growth of them by 6% to about 4%, while the discretionary spending is the military. That's about 19% of the entire federal budget with the two categories put together. So for them to say that the military is getting all the money, education's going down, and social programs are going down, it's a lie. It's a farce, and anybody that promotes that, like most of the Democrats, either have no clue what they're talking about or are literally lying to your face. I'm not quite sure which one yet. Now, Kevin McCarthy says that he's got a long-term plan here. And after thinking, hey, maybe, maybe, just maybe, after the long debate we had to elect him as Speaker of the House, maybe, just maybe, after him promising that he would hold up the Republican values on what we're going to do here to promote Republican values, maybe, just maybe, we can actually have a backbone, stand our ground, and play chicken all the way to the very end with Democrats and force them to come to our side, which is the first time that's ever been done in this entire negotiation process with Democrats and Republicans since the Obama administration, or even the Bush administration at least, where the Democrats get everything and we end up caving to their demands, just maybe we could actually fight for the right thing on our end this time. And did it happen? It really didn't, because we caved. We caved again, and now we have this watered-down bill that raises the debt ceiling by $4 trillion over the next two years, while cutting $130 billion a year for the next 10 years. So we're raising it by four and then cutting it by (laughs) 1.3 over a 10-year period, which is a drop in the bucket for the federal government with how much they actually spend that really doesn't get rid of many of the programs and federal spending projects at all. But to Kevin McCarthy, he says this is just the starting point. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. According to Fox News, he says that right now the next plan is to actually create a new committee That's going to be focusing on budgetary issues, and therefore we can actually work on this for the long term. According to uh, Kevin McCarthy on Fox News, hat tip to Newsmax on this one, quote, this isn't the end. This doesn't solve all the problems. This is the first step. I'm going to announce a commission coming forward from the speaker, bipartisan, on both sides of the aisle. We only got to look at 11% of the budget to find these cuts. We have to look at the entire budget, according to Kevin McCarthy. Show of hands. Do you trust him? Do you think it's going to work? Do you think it's going to do anything? Especially being a bipartisan, quote-unquote, commission. Number one, commissions are really a useless thing 
in Washington, D.C., because if they were actually legitimate, we'd see Hillary Clinton and so many others behind bars after years of investigation. But they don't do anything except for make us feel like we're doing something. Government, do something. Okay, we'll create a commission to study the issue. Oh, okay, thanks. That sounds. I feel so much better now. I feel so much more secure. So we can feel like the government's doing something. Making it bipartisan only means that you're going to put Democrats on there that are like, oh, yeah, we need to continue to spend more money. Because Democrats are united. In fact, only 53 of the 200 Democrats actually voted for this issue after all the compromise from Republicans. Now, if it were half of the Democrat caucus, then we could be like, you know what, man, we found... Some type of compromise bill. If all the Republicans and half the Democrats came on board, we found a compromise that was good for everybody. No, we squeaked through 53 of the 200 Democrats or 100 and whatever, 160 Democrats, 150 Democrats, 53 Democrats that came on board and we lost the 29 conservatives. They're like, wait a second. I thought the whole purpose of this was to actually cut government spending to where we could get through until the fiscal year when we can really cut spending for the next fiscal budget that we're going to propose with the 12 appropriations bills and we actually come through everything and we do some major reforms in the government. No, no, we didn't do that. No, no, we caved and the Republicans actually voted for this bill. Why did we not hold our ground with the Limit, Save, and Grow Act? Because, well, I don't really know. Is it time for Kevin McCarthy to go? Or was it the best? I said yesterday it was the best bill that we're going to get, and it's true because obviously they voted and passed on it. But why we didn't just stick to our guns and say, we already did our job, it's time for you to do yours, just shows again we kind of showed a little bit of a cowardly position. It's the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. By the way, just FYI, there are two votes that happened just a little bit ago. They're on recess, which means I think they're about ready to vote later on on the official deal. They voted to accept the resolution. Then they voted to change the rules and suspend the rules on the House floor, which I don't know exactly what rules they were changing or suspending, although I can make an assumption. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, so don't hold me to this one, but my assumption is the fact that the House rules right now say that you have to have the bill for at least three to five days to debate, discuss it, and then put it up for a vote. Obviously, with the time crunch that they have, they don't have time. So, again, we're doing the Fast and Furious mindset out of Washington, D.C. without doing things the proper way to let the American people know what's in it, let people know about the details of the bill, what's actually what's exactly in the bill, and then they get on the floor and debate it and then vote on it here in a few days. So I'm assuming that the suspension of the House floor rules that they voted on, and by the way, an overwhelming majority with uh, only like, I don't know, five people on both sides of the aisle voting against the rule change or suspension, that I'm assuming that that vote was to suspend that particular rule on the three-day or five-day grace period to allow us to figure out what the hell's in the bill before we actually vote on the bill. Because remember, it's the Fast and Furious, and if we don't do that right now... We're all going to die because of you! (laughs) So (laughs) now we have the Fast and Furious being rammed through on us again and not knowing exactly what's in the bill. However, we are getting some little tidbits here and there of some of the details. And while... It's a bill that's supposed to be restraining the government, giving us a little bit more of a leeway room to pay our bills, not to increase spending on any projects, but to pay our bills so that way we don't default going just until September. 
into the end of the fiscal year. So that way, October's new fiscal year, we can have our ducks in a row. We can have a brand new federal budget. That's the whole purpose of this, getting us through three months. That's the entire purpose of this bill. Why we're looking out two years, five years, ten years with increasing the debt ceiling is preposterous. We're supposed to fund the government. We should have done a bill that said, how much are the bills for the next three months? All right, uh, $400 billion. All right, we'll spend $400 billion to get through the rest of this year. And then guess what? The government, oh, we're going in and we're cutting up your credit cards like a Dave Ramsey plan here, baby. That's what we're doing. And that's what needed to happen here. That's not what happened because obviously we increased spending by $4 trillion and cut it by $130 billion for the next 10 years, which is just over a billion dollars. While we increased it for $4 billion for two years, we cut it by $1.3 billion or a trillion for 10 years. I feel like Joe Biden with all the billions and trillions right now. Nonetheless, here's the point. While that was supposed to be the plan for this, that's not what happened because, as usual, when federal governments like to pass some type of bill, there's pork in it. Oh, wait, hold on, Andy. I thought it was just to pay our bills. No, 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 no. We're also creating new projects because Joe Manson, according to CNN, good old Joe Manchin, who the Democrats despise right now, is the moderate Democrat who has sided with Republicans on a few things, apparently got a nice little project in his state for a new gas pipeline in the debt ceiling bill. And the environmentalists who are upset about some of the releasing and loosening goosening of the Environmental Protection Agency and the regulations on the private sector due to environmental purposes are livid at Joe Manchin about potentially getting a new project in this debt ceiling bill. So the bill, as usual, isn't about actually restraining the government, bringing in transparency in any way, shape, or form. No, no. The way they're buying off some of the Democrats in order to support this and get it through because they're probably going to need a Democrat or two on the Senate side because they're all going to vote no on the bill because they don't like to compromise. They had to buy them off by using a transparent budget and bill to get them on by purchasing projects in their area. And what did Joe Manchin want? He wanted a gas pipeline. And apparently, according to CNN, he's going to get that. So, Again, I ask you Republicans who are like, well, this is the best bill that we could get and we're just going to have to vote for it because we can't default on the government and the spending and this is all we're going to be able to do. And it's not great, but at least we have to do it. Oh, no, we have to vote for the bill. How does it feel? How does it feel to compromise your entire stronghold that you had, all the leverage that you have, compromise every bit of the values that got you into Washington, D.C. with the angry Republican Party saying, get the damn finances in gear to have to buy off certain Democrats in order for them to support this because the rest of the Democrat Party is still against it no matter how much you give and compromise and try and work with them. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason meets radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. All right, it is. Welcome back into the program. Multiple radio stations all over the place, plus radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen, hang out with us. We always love you to death. Thanks so much for doing it. By the way, in a little bit here, yes, we're going to talk about it today. The most important issue to hell with that debt ceiling debate. We have another issue that's going on. Weird news of the day. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. We'll have some fun with it. Welcome back into the program on a midweek celebration. How does it feel, Republicans? You created a bill that was meh, but we could roll with it. It was meh. And then you ended up watering that down to try and win over Democrat support who still didn't even vote for the bill. 53 Democrats voted for the bill as of just about an hour or so ago. 
We'll see when they come back from the recess for the official vote here. But 53 out of all of them, you have to win over one or two of the Senate Democrats in order to pass the bill from the Senate side by winning over Joe Manchin, which I honestly, it's kind of ironic and hilarious that you had to go with a gas pipeline to just really drive it into the environmentalists who are already angry at Joe Manchin. But you had to buy them off in a bill that's supposed to be cutting spending by buying him a new project in his area in the bill that's supposed to be cutting spending, all for you to compromise the values that Democrats still didn't even want because they say it just doesn't go far enough. Uh, do you feel better? Do you feel good about yourself? Well, one of the major concerns is on non-defense discretionary spending. While mm. the defense budget continues to go up, not true. our ability to feed our children goes down. Not true. Our ability to educate our children goes down not true and we can go over that's the that's the fear tactics apparently we're not quite familiar or just don't want to talk about the difference between the mandatory and discretionary spending at that federal level uh which brings us to our what's trending story of the day what's trending today and i ask you the questions republicans that are elected in washington dc on how it feels to compromise your values because you got elected for a specific purpose the biggest reason republicans won the house of representatives is because we ran on the point that we were frustrated with the government spending projects kevin mccarthy the republicans the conservatives wanted to rein that spending in and reform the way that we actually do Budget, that was the value that you held. That was the values and morals that you said you wanted to go into D.C. to address. And how does it feel to compromise those? And I bring it up that way because I remember back in the day, all the way back when in high school, doing debate in high school as a high school debater. And uh, my favorite, which ended up, not to brag or anything, I think I brought this up once or twice on the program before. My, I only did it my senior year, the year that I actually got into debate, and ended up winning eighth or tenth in state for one-on-one value debate, which was awesome. And that's really what launched me into be like, no, I don't want to work for NASA. I want to work in politics and argue with people because that's a lot more fun. Uh, but debate was really one of the best tools that we could have. But the one-on-one value debate that I did, you had to defend a value. And you had to defend it on your own. You had to find a way to defend that value no matter what. And it looks like we've kind of compromised those values just a little bit. But to talk about some of that and more on not only debate, but other issues going on in the nation, excited to have on the program. He is the executive director for Incubate Debate, which you can find online at incubatedebate.org, a no-cost tournament going through the state of Florida for high school students and middle school students to learn the knowledge of how to properly debate, understand the nation's constitution and democracy, and how to argue those issues. Really happy to have on the program Mr. James Fishback. James, how are you, my friend? Oh, are you there? Hello. No, oh, there we go. There we go. How are you, James? Good. Hey, good. Excited to have you on the program, brother. Uh, first off, for those that may be somewhat familiar in the Florida area that listen to the show or may not know, what is Incubate Debate? What do you guys do? Incubate Debate is the largest debate league in Florida. It's not just the only no-cost debate league, but it's a debate league that I started in 2019. We're committed to bringing free speech diversity of viewpoints, and most importantly, merit back to high school debate. Mm. I love that. How many students do you have in Florida right now? Thousands. Thousands all over the state, from the Panhandle all the way down to South Florida. Is this increasing the interest in in students wanting to not only maybe get into government or understand constitutional issues, um, but just in general understand the process of how to properly dialogue with people without just an angry tweet and saying they're an expert on social media? That's right. 
you know, our students come from all backgrounds and after high school want to do a range of different things. Even if students who don't want to get into government or, or heaven forbid, be a lawyer, they still will gain an appreciation about the democracy, about their constitution. And most importantly, that civic engagement point, how do you dialogue with people who are different from you? I saw a poll the other day. It's, I'm sure it'll shock you, Andy. It shocked me. 30%, 30% of young Democrats said they would never date a Republican. 30%. Wow. So a third of young Democrats would never date a Republican. And that number for Republicans to Democrats was 5%. So that's a really concerning figure because it really exemplifies in a unique way the division that we're seeing in the country. Don't talk to him. He's a Republican. Don't, don't speak to her. She's pro-life. We need to bring the country together, and the path to unity runs through free speech and open debate. Amen to that. I am all about that, having that dialogue and, and understanding that you can have a fun conversation without making it personal, which is something we don't see very often in today's society. Let's tie it in with the younger generation and, and some of the other issues that we're seeing, obviously, with the ending of Title 42, the fentanyl issue that we're seeing all over the nation. Uh, the fentanyl crises, is that primarily focused on, or do you think it's affecting a lot of students around the country and getting engaged in understanding issues like this and being part of debate teams or part of tournaments like this? Do you think that's actually helping uh, bring some awareness to some of those issues right now? I think it is. I think it is. You know, we we came into the fentanyl issue because we actually had a debate about this in January, whether the solution to the opioid epidemic was harm reduction or abstinence. And it was through that debate where thousands of students did the research, presented arguments on either side of that, that we really recognized, one, the urgency of it, but two, how wide the knowledge gap was on what students knew and what they needed to know about this important, important issue. You look, the fentanyl crisis is killing over 200 Americans every single day. And many of them, Andy, don't even know what they're taking. They've got heroin that's laced with fentanyl. They've got what they think is a Percocet. It's pressed to look exactly like an Adderall, a Percocet, or an Oxycontin, but it's straight fentanyl coming across our southern border. And uh, that's not an overdose. That's a poisoning. You know, if a young kid went out and drank a Heineken and they weren't supposed to, and that Heineken was adulterated as as alcohol often was in the prohibition area, and they died, we wouldn't look to them and say, it's your fault. You drank the beer. No. These drugs... Had they been legitimate drugs these kids were taking, they wouldn't be dying. They would have an, a separate issue, but would at least have a chance to save them and get them the support they need. This is a one-and-done, one-pill-can-kill, and it's it's an issue that we really ought to spend a lot more time talking about. Yeah, amen to that. What was some of the shock and awe factors when they started researching this issue? Was that one of them? Was just like, wow, I could just grab a drink or you know do a regular recreational drug, marijuana or something like that, that I don't even know is in it and this could affect me. Uh, was that one of those kind of eye-opening experiences for these students as they were researching? It was. It was. It was also the fact that this drug didn't just kill people on the street. It killed some of the wealthiest, most well-connected people. Think about it. Prince had a net worth in the hundreds of millions when he died. He died from a counterfeit Vicodin that he thought was a Vicodin, but was actually straight fentanyl. Mac Miller, net worth in the tens of millions. He took what he thought was a Percocet. It was straight fentanyl. Tom Petty, Coolio, so on and so forth. So it wasn't just the that these drugs are indistinguishable from the real thing. It's the fact that even wealthy people could fall victim and die from them. 
Yeah, that is very they true. They were poisoned. Yeah, they were poisoned. Yeah, it's a, it's a major issue. With all the students doing the research that they have and looking into this issue, was there a consensus or at least a discussion on what to do to curb the issue? Obviously, it's getting worse with the ongoing ending of Title 42, the mass migration of people coming into the country. Now we're going to see a lot more yeah. of it. But is there a consensus or at least some type of discussion of how to try and solve this issue moving forward? Well, there was a, a whole range of opinions, but I think students walked away from that recognizing that the harm reduction strategy, which just to make sure your viewers know, is the idea that we're going to pa- hand out these, essentially the antidote to fentanyl, to opioids, which is something called naloxone or, or Narcan. Yeah. And that is administered uh, nasal, in a nasal, through the nasal passage, when someone overdoses off one of these opioids or synthetic opioids. The problem there with that particular strategy, and you're seeing school boards across the country buy this Narcan in bulk, is that once you've already uh, once you've already bought all of this Narcan, your strategy then goes from saying, we're not going to prevent this from happening. We are simply going to address it. We are not going to be proactive. We are going to be reactive. It would kind of very similar to the fact that if you were in a pool and saw kept Every, every day a kid was drowning, a kid was drowning. We could Sure, we could buy more lifesavers, but we could also recognize the underlying issue, which is the kids who are swimming in this community pool are having a hard time swimming. Yeah. And, and that is the issue as it stands, is that kids don't know what's going on. We ran a survey in the state of Florida, 320 students from all over the state, and seven out of ten of them, Andy, said that their schools had not spoken to them about fentanyl. Seven wow. out of ten. Seven out of ten. So while we can debate the drag queen issue, and we can debate whether this was a this is a racist country, they always certain to have time for that. We don't have time for the number one killer of eighteen through forty five year olds. That's fentanyl. Every single teacher, every administrator, every school has got to have an assembly. No delay about this drug because it's killing like nothing we've ever seen before. Amen to that. I, I'm really surprised that we haven't seen like the uh, Friday afternoon pep rallies from many of the schools trying to educate students on this with some type of like, you know, it's a magician or something trying to teach them because I remember all those. James, we've got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Yeah, sure. Uh, fantastic. All right. When we come back, I want to talk some more about this. Also, I want to talk about more about the incubate debate and what you guys are working on, because I love that program. I'm so glad you guys are doing this, trying to expand it across the state of Florida and beyond, which we'll talk about when we come back. And definitely want to help out any way that I can on that one. Getting the young generation to learn to critically think in dialogue. What a concept. Something other than social media and 130 character tweet. Lots more coming up on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day the voice of reason with andy Hoosier. yes indeed welcome back into the program last few minutes of the show today on a midweek celebration here by the way real quick before we get back into our topic i promised you we're going to do our weird news story weird news Here's, of the day right, here it is we'll do it real f- <laughs> we'll do it real fast now i'm not i'm going to tell you right now i'm not going to get excited about it I'm not doing it. I am not getting let down i'm not getting deflated like tom brady's footballs anymore i'm just not doing it man According to Fox News, NASA held a public hearing today on a new committee that they've created studying the evidence 
of UFOs, or what they like to call now UAPs. And they, they held, I, <laughs> I know they held the forum today. I didn't get to hear it. We'll go back and try and listen to some of that. The most important news, even outside of the debt, uh, debt ceiling debate issue, they uh, had the public forum today, and apparently they're going to release a report later on this summer from NASA. Now, remember, NASA is somewhat of a private entity now before the federal government started refunding them again in a uh, kind of a private-public partnership there. So will they be a little bit more accurate? I don't know. But I'm not getting excited this time. Just I'm not doing it, man. Not doing it. Right now we're hanging out with James Fishback. He is with the Incubate Debate, which you can find online at incubatedebate.org. James, have you guys debated UFOs at all in existence of aliens? Has that been a topic for the uh, debaters in Florida? We haven't yet, but I think it's a great <laughs> one for our, our summer debate institute. You know, uh, last week I, I had the chance to publish an article with the Free Press about what I call the hijacking of high school debate by left-wing politics. And uh, and it's unbelievable what's happening. I, Senator Cruz tweeted the article out. It's been read nearly a million times. And, you know, Andy, what these some of these judges are doing outside of Incubate, the, the big National Speech and Debate Association, that's uh, nearly 100 years old. They host the national tournament, all these other events. They're telling kids straight up that if you say the word illegal immigrant in the round, they're going to interrupt you end the round, and then give you the loss simply because you used a term that is accurate and ubiquitous in, in, our, in our society. Wow. Unbelievable. That's scary, the fact that they're controlling dialogue at that level. You're, the whole purpose of debate, especially for middle and high school students, is to learn how to properly do the form of being able to do the cross-examination, create your presentation, do your research on it, and for them to say, no, no, you can't use that word or else it's an automatic loss, that's that's a little scary how much they control that system. Yeah, it's it's really, really scary. And, you know, as, as you know, being a former high school debater yourself, Andy, this is something that teaches us about diversity of viewpoints, about how to disagree agreeably. And then when I'm looking at one of these paradigms, which is where these judges post their beliefs where students can read them before the round, this one young lady who's judged over 100 kids in the past year, she says, quote, if you are white, don't run arguments with impacts that primarily affect people of color. These <laughs> arguments should belong to the community they affect. So if you're a, a white girl from Kansas, don't you dare talk about the senseless violence that's happening in black communities in Chicago. That's not the America I know. That's not the America that Barack Obama talked about in 04 when he said we ought to care about people even if they don't look like us. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. And it's sad to see the high school debate seem stifled like this. Unbelievable. It is very scary. Well, God bless what you guys are doing with Incubate Debate. we got just about a minute left here, but what types of debate formats do you guys have when you train these middle and high school students? Our, our most, we have three different formats, all of which are unique to us, but my favorite and the student's favorite is something called Roundtable. And if your listeners know the view, it looks a lot like that, except there are actually different views and different perspectives. You've got eight kids who are sitting around a table. They've got 20 minutes. It's a free-form debate. The only rules are as follows. One, you can't use notes. Two, you can't stand up. And three, there are no other rules except the rules of civility. This is a free-form, open debate where students can speak, ask, interject, take a poll, get a better feel for the roundtable. And they're posed topics like the one we just debated, which was about whether the U.S. should adopt a no-first-use nuclear policy, whether the environmental benefits of electric vehicles are over-exaggerated. Think, Andy, this debate format really reflects the debates that take place every single day in our country. The back porch around the dinner table, those debates are, are more 
uh, reflective and authentic than these sort of two-on-two yelling at each other for 45 minutes yeah. in this hyper-jargonistic or structured way. It's amazing. It's amazing what you guys are doing. I am so glad that you're blowing up all over Florida. And if you do expand outside of the state of Florida, whatever we can do on this radio program that's all over in numerous states as well, we want to be able to help that as well and get these kids involved and engage in that debate format. So, uh, James, I appreciate you coming on the program, my friend. Let's talk again real soon. Thank you, Andy. Have a good night. Absolutely. You as well. Good stuff right there. IncubateDebate.org is the website. Go and check those guys out. Getting the Ute of America all excited to learn how to actually have a dialogue in a very civil manner. Oh, man, I just can't wait for the Democrats to find a way to shut that one down. All right, we'll have the final votes on the debt ceiling debate tomorrow. Also, we'll have some other stuff that I had ready for you today. We just didn't get a chance to get to it. So we'll do it tomorrow on a pre-Friday. Until then, be your own voice of reason. Be that catalyst for change. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.